Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on WBEN. Now, WBEN's David Bellavia. Welcome back to Hardline. You know, this week, Bob Barr uh, has, uh, what a week. I mean, think about this. If you look at, at how everything has changed in just 10 days with this Mueller investigation. The report comes out. More Americans are reading the report. Uh, The narrative goes from Russian collusion, Adam Schiff, intelligence chairman, talking about evidence of collusion. Report comes out. Bob Barr now is the topic of, well, he lied. Uh, There was a Mueller letter that came out. And Bob Barr sits on the stand, takes hours and hours of questions from the Senate Intel Committee, uh, presidential hopefuls, and this guy is like the rock of Gibraltar, doesn't move, pushes back, says that Mueller's uh, letter was a little nitty and, 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 and unnecessary. Then he goes on to say that a phone call with Bob Mueller, Bob Mueller, he basically told Mueller, hey, why don't you just pick up the phone and call me? Why did you have to write this letter? Now, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, who's the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, he's saying, hey, Mueller, is that the way the phone call went? If it's not, why don't you come in here and defend uh, what Bob Barr is saying? This whole thing has completely changed. Joining us on the live line is Dr. Mark Epstein, Sir, what a crazy last week this has been. And if you look at all the attacks on Barr, your analysis of this means these guys, uh, these Democrats that have been talking about Russian collusion, they may be a little insecure about something. Yeah, I mean, if I had a show, I'd use uh, Here Comes Your 19th Nervous Breakdown as my bumper music. I mean, it, it's it really is a kind of... It's a kind of collective nervous breakdown. It's, re- it's really quite remarkable. You know, you juxtapose this with Watergate, right? And essentially, uh, we know now that Watergate was really about an FBI leaker, right? And, and uh, Richard Nixon essentially having all sorts of conversations on tape that for one reason or another, he, he decided to keep. <laughs> at the, but no, because you don't have those tapes, you have nothing. <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the end of the day... At the end of the day, the the uh, Mueller the Mueller report, Devin Nunez calls it the dossier, is is really a, an a, an attempt to legitimize and in essence cover up this entire counterintelligence operation. And and what you have is a very badly put together thirty five million dollar term paper. You know where, where it's all circular. Where, where they're getting people to plant news stories, and then they're presenting the news stories as evidentiary uh, a basis for... Well, let, let's, let's stay on that, because that, you're, you're leading us into this New York Times article. And again, you know, we can go back and, and look at uh, 
uh, when it was originally, you know, Trump that tweeted out uh, the, the wiretapping, the spying, all this other stuff. The New York Times writes a piece that, in fact, George Papadopoulos was approached by what they call an FBI informant. Now, the problem here is that a lot of people are saying, wait a second. Was this an FBI informant on foreign soil or was this a CIA operative because of the way, first of all, the fact that she's not a, a uh, an American citizen, she's used in other cases that people are saying are sealed, uh, but they believe that she has worked with the CIA in the past. How much does this change if she is CIA, approaches George Papadopoulos at a bar, you know, basically dresses up provocatively, tries to induce him and and entice him uh, sexually to get information, all of the different things that have been done in the past. But that puts it right back to John Brennan. Well, here's the thing. These the, the classic way to run these kinds of operations is to hire contractors. You, you subcontract out. It's like pushing everything offshore, you know? So the, the, all of these operations, Fusion GPS, uh, Admiral Mike Rogers coming into, the, into uh, Trump Towers and telling him, you better get out here, there's a surveillance net. It all has to do with all of these subcontractors who have access to the NSA database. That was cut off. This thing is, is so wormy and has such a stink to it, I, I just don't know uh, if, if they try to take this all the way, how soon it could even be wrapped up. It's, it's, it's a bad, bad, bad business. And the other thing I'm struck by is, on the one hand, you have these people holding enormous power, right, like Brennan and Comey and Clapper, using the overseas, the Five Eyes, uh, friendly intelligence agencies, getting them involved, Halper. And the other side of it is they seem to me to be very pedestrian. They don't seem to be particularly sharp. In fact, they seem to be stupid. If, if you're a smart person, why are you sending your lover, Strzok and Pay? why are they sending each other thousands of text messages? <laughs> on, on a company phone. Smart people. Right, right. I mean, it, it really is to me one one of the the main takeaways here uh, that that really shocked me was the fact that it, the narrative was so quick to turn that now Barr is somehow public enemy number one. That this is the guy that many conservatives bemoaned as another swamp critter when he's named attorney general. He 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 was a friend of Bob Mueller. The wives go to Bible study for the last twenty years. This wasn't someone that was going to you know run to the aid of Donald Trump. And now you know compare this guy to James uh, to uh, Jeff Sessions. I mean Jeff Sessions is 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 like a human ambient. This guy's fighting back, saying I'm not going to recuse myself. I'm not going to. Uh, 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 give up any of the power of the attorney general. And, you know, it, it was I thought that entire hearing was more uh, indicative of what's coming in the future. There just seemed like there was so much insecurity that, oh, this inspector general report, they might be referring criminal indictments. My, listen, the Democratic Party is in trouble. They're on the cusp of an election. They gambled everything on uh, some report coming down that would have said that Trump colluded. It isn't there. They have a field of 21 people. And it, when you're at the level that you're, you're uh, uh, elevating a guy like this, Mayor Pete, into some kind of presidential timber, 
and your fallback position is Joe Biden, you have you have things that you got to worry about, in my opinion. And uh, and and then, of course, as I've said to you, that if if indictments come down within the next six months, six to twelve months, the entire kaleidoscope reconfigures, and and that means. I would even argue that the Democrats are going to have to look for some kind of dark horse who hasn't been sticking their neck out over this kind of business. Because they're all they all look like they're they're just right. They're they're grasping at straws. And it's uh, it's a crazy conspiracy at that point, if that's what ends up coming down. Hey, listen, now we're going to take a little break. Uh, when we come back, we'll have more of Dr. Mark Epstein talking about this week with Bob Barr, the testimony. And we're going to get into why he's not going to be or why he canceled his testimony in front of the House and Nadler uh, firing back. We'll also take some calls. We've got a Democrat on the line. We'll get to him. Six, four, four, nine, eight. 875 is the Democratic line. 803-0930 is the Republican line. We're talking uh, the update on the Mueller report and what a crazy turn of events have happened in just one week since last time we talked to you. Uh, We'll be right back after this. It's Hardline. Welcome back. It's Hardline. We've got Dr. Mark Epstein on the live line. And we uh, have uh, some calls coming in. 803-0930, Republican line, 644-9875 on the Democratic line. And uh, Dr. Epstein, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about uh, as soon as this happened uh, was when he decided, when William Barr, Attorney General, decided not to testify in front of the House. And then there was this really odd, uh, almost, uh, I don't know, political theater where a representative uh, brought Kentucky Fried Chicken. And then there was this awkward moment where he offered that Kentucky Fried Chicken to an African-American congresswoman. And people seemed to have looked kind of cross-eyed at that whole exchange. It was it was just a really weird, uh, you know, as if we're baiting people to testify. What? And then Nadler is coming back. What game is Nadler playing here? I mean, is this just re- trying to be relevant, trying to stay, you know, in the spotlight? Because it appears that if the attorney general uh, isn't compelled, you're going to bring uh, counsel of the president of the United States. They didn't claim privilege. They're certainly going to claim privilege now. Yeah, what's worse, you know, this uh, Representative Cohn is his name. So he he's, he's a representative from Tennessee. Why is he bringing Kentucky chicken? <laughs> right. uh, you know, increasingly I look at these guys. They look so bizarre. I, 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 it's almost like something out of Men in Black. I have a feeling that if uh, someone shot them with a neuralizer, Adam Schiff, another head would pop up. I, it, it, their, their behavior, you know, there are different periods in American history where, believe it or not, the hyperbole coming out of Congress, the use of, of, of really pejorative terms was common. It was not uncommon, right? I mean, you, you used to have uh, Bilbo, uh, uh, Senator Bilbo, Representative Bilbo, he would use the N-word. He would, he would refer to Jews as kikes. It, this, was, this had sort of left our discourse. And now it's reemerged decades later, unfortunately. As far as Nadler goes, Nadler has worked very hard to rise within the Democratic caucus. And his perception is, is that, the, you know, being the guy uh, raising the flag and, and, and getting involved in all this kind of business solidifies his position. I think it's, he's mistaken. I think this is, uh, uh, th- this is not a uh, win situation. I, I just think, I think it's very, very foolish. 
All right, let's go to the phones on the Democratic line. We've got Tony in Clarence. Tony, uh, how's your Sunday going? And you're on with Dr. Me- uh, Dar- Dr. Mark Epstein. Go ahead, sir. Great to hear your program again. I want to congratulate you for having a wonderful show. Thank you, sir. That's very kind. Yeah, but first of all, I'd like to ask, is Mr. Epstein still there? Dr. Epstein's here. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Can he tell me who Tyler McGee is? Tyler McGee? No, I can't. Who is he? McGee. McGee? He doesn't know. What are you talking about? Tyler has two daughters. Mm -hmm. Married a guy named Tyler McGee. He's a guess what he is. He's like he was put into the into the White House, transferred from Alexandria, Virginia, uh, as a Justice Department of, uh, attorney. He was changed over there. He has a second daughter named Daly. Guess what? That man is also working for the federal government, as is his daughter, who works in the opioid section. Right. Mr. Mr. Epstein, on the 24th of March, we had a summary given by Barr. Mr. Barr testified that he had not read the underlying underlying conclusions of the report. I doubt if he read any of the report. On the 27th of March, Mr. Mueller sent a letter telling him that what he was representing was not the bar, was not the, the a report done by the special counsel. On April 9th, Mr. Barr was in the Judiciary Senate Committee where he answered a question and lied. He said that Mr. Mueller had not given his opinion upon what the summary said. Actually, the, the letter that Mueller said, which we have copies of, stated that this was not the conclusions that this man reached. Mr. Barr was a, committed perjury when he told Pamela Harris that she, in her questioning... Tony, uh, Tony, let me ask you, though, because I've heard this... Uh, a liar. Right, but I've heard a lot of this before. If the perjury uh, allegation had legitimacy, why aren't they going down that road and uh, recommending charges that he lied to Congress? Wait till Monday. The Black, the Black American Caucus is going to release a report on Monday citing the lies of the Trump administration involving the economics of the Black Americans in this country, the Hispanics, and other people. Okay, but let's get back to Barr, though, for a second. If these allegations are, are true, wouldn't you think that that would be the, the lead story right now? I mean, I'll tell you, the, the difference between Michael Cohen and and Barr's lies is that you had an allegation of perjury and then you had charges uh, that dropped immediately after Michael Cohen was done testifying. What are you talking about? When Michael Cohen was the last time Michael Cohen addressed Congress, uh, there were the same, you know, Republicans were saying this guy's a liar. And then within 24 hours of that testimony, you had Jim Jordan, uh, you had other members of the House uh, that basically uh, recommended additional charges for lying to Congress. Gone anywhere. By the way, no, but what I'm saying. Okay, all right. Hey, Tony, good call. I appreciate your participation. What do you make of that, uh, Doctor Epstein? Is that how we get the birth of the blues? <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, my point is, look, Tony's fired up and he's passionate. Uh, you know, I don't really get the whole. I didn't lie. Uh, Michael Mukasey was just being interviewed by Maria Bartiromo. He said it's absolutely not the case. He answered the two questions straight and honestly. 
the, uh, the business of exoneration. It is not the job of federal prosecutors to exonerate people. Now, it drives them crazy because President Trump plays on that and says, I am exonerated. But the, the, the federal prosecutor either brings a charge or he doesn't bring a charge. You never hear a federal prosecutor say, you are exonerated. As to the, so this is regarding obstruction of justice. As, as collusion goes, he, he said there was absolutely no collusion. That's dispositive. That's all there is to it. And the other thing that I think is, is frustrating to a lot of Democrats is that they knew exactly what the deal was, who was going to be the authority on this, was going to be the attorney general. And at the time, they had a recused attorney general. So that, that was a great deal because it wasn't going to be Jeff Sessions. Listen, Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions gave the Democratic Party and all the Obama holdovers free reign over the Justice Department. And then when... Um, the Mueller uh, team was set up, they essentially moved over the people who had been investigating or conducting this counterintelligence operation to the Mueller team. The only reason that Strzok and Page were, were uh, cut from that was because they discovered those, those, uh, those texts became public. If they had never become public, they never would have been eliminated from it. It was really a, pa- it was a parallel operation. It was a parallel move. And they brought Mueller along to run it because he, in a sense, Mueller was a useful idiot. He was, he was a guy that had a reputation. He was untouchable. They knew that he couldn't be fired. And he just sat back and let a highly partisan team uh, uh, with, a, with a, uh, an open checkbook run wild and but, you know they had nothing but but as far as uh, you know the idea that uh, the president wanted to fire someone or recommended that maybe we should fire someone and then ultimately he doesn't get fired but we would have had uh, a much more difficult situation on our hands if the president had fired a special counsel. But the reality is, is that, you know, there's a lot of constitutional experts that believe that a president can fire a special counsel, can fire an attorney general. It looks bad. It's going to result in in a tremendous amount of hearings. But that didn't ultimately happen anyway. So what are we arguing about? Well, what they're trying to do is take nothing and make it into something. If if the president had said to his... uh, uh, a lawyer to the White House counsel, I want to fire Mueller. So pre- people say lots of things. If you ever have either work in the White House, which I haven't, or look at archival material regarding how White Houses are run and conferences are held and notes are taken and misunderstandings take place, which I have done extensively, things get said all the time that at the end of the day don't make it into policy. What, what do you think? Everyone who... who speaks or talks at a White House conference or meeting, everything that they say that's recorded becomes policy. (laughs) That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but that's why I love having you on the program. We're going to do another half hour. Dr. Mark Epstein, Republican lines, 803-0930. Democratic lines are 644-9875. We're going to get to phase two of this whole thing. Michael Horowitz, Inspector General Report, recommending indictments. What does that mean? 
And quite frankly, does this go all the way uh, to the top of the Obama administration? And Dr. Epstein, we're going to ask him uh, what our historic. Have we ever seen this before? Is there any historical precedent to the fact that a former sitting president, a former president, would have uh, indictments potentially potentially against him? Uh, We'll we'll see if that even goes down that road. But we're going to take a break and get news. More Dr. Epstein and your calls after this. It's Hardline. Welcome back to Hardline. We've got Dr. Mark Epstein uh, on the live line. You know, uh, one of the things that uh, I I absolutely loved was this article written by Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. And, uh, you know, she makes the points that, uh, quite frankly, if you're able, lucky enough to have uh, the the text number of Dr. Mark Epstein, he made maybe three days before that. But there's there's some truth in this in the fact that one of the biggest fears of William Barr to a lot of people, and you can call them swamp critters or you know, uh, the managerial state, as you referred to it, Dr. Epstein, in your pieces that you write nationally at the New English Review, uh, one of the things that I find uh, so troubling here is that Barr dropped a bomb that not a lot of people picked up on. But the bomb is, is that not only is he going to look at what was happening in the fall of 2016 that started this investigation, but he's going months earlier. And the other thing that he has to that the none of the investigative committees in Congress or the Senate have is he has access to Michael Horowitz inspector general report, the outline data that was used in the Mueller report and both investigations in the Senate and the house simultaneously. So he has a much larger net. He's going to go back to what happened at 2016 to start this investigation, but to go before it and what was going on before that with subpoena power of the attorney general. And then he's going to look at this dossier. And one of the things that Mike, uh, that uh, William Barr brought up is the potential that this dossier itself was the Russian manipulation in the election. What do you make of that? Well, the, the, you know, it just, the, the, you know, now that, uh, George Papadopoulos is all over the airwaves and giving interviews, and he wrote this book. The, the, the more that he speaks, the more that um, uh, there were just more little chestnuts that are being thrown out. Um, it's fascinating because George Papadopoulos, I'm not making a value judgment of him as a person, but he was a nobody. I mean, the, Trump didn't know who he was. He was one of these people that uh, uh, gravitates to campaigns, He's on the make, and he's hoping that, you know, you work on the campaign for free, uh, uh, you do good work, and then maybe there's going to be a job for you in an administration. Not necessarily a high-level job, of course, but, you know, a position. And this is what Papadopoulos was about. He first, he glommed onto the Kane campaign, and then when, uh, uh, when he dropped out, then he goes to the, uh, the Trump campaign. And for some sort of reason, the people running this operation thought that he was the perfect bait, that he was just the guy that they could go to to create this whole confection that there was a collusion operation going on between the Trump campaign and the Russians. And it turns out, it, 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 from all appearances on the surface, this was concocted either within levels of the Obama administration or out of the intelligence apparatus. And if, if all this comes due, it's going to be the worst abuse of power 
this country has seen, in my opinion. Well, we uh, as we're talking right now about this, breaking news is that James Comey is going to testify uh, in front of Congress in, it looks like, May 15th. He's also doing a town hall meeting on CNN on May 9th, which seems just brilliantly timed. Uh, one of the things that Comey is talking about, and again, uh, I'm totally confused as to where this guy, it almost appears now that James Comey's trying to uh, uh, look like this information is troubling to him as well and that he wants to get to the bottom of it, even though he seems to be the source of all of this. Uh, there's a Washington Free, Be- uh, sorry, Washington Examiner article uh, yesterday that came out that said that uh, he's still curious about how President Trump knew that um, that conversations could have been taped in the Oval Office. And he, again, stated many, many times that he believes that that there is something there, that Trump was the one that was recording conversations with Comey. But now, you know, this inspector general report, we now know that the entire reason why there was a Bob Mueller investigation is because Comey wanted that. And he essentially set up the dominoes to make that happen by leaking information to his personal friend who then went to the Washington Post and put out privileged information, you know, basically notes taken from a conversation with the president uh, and gave that over to a reporter. Uh, And then when Trump tweeted out that, you know, maybe there are tapes out there, what's going on? Comey is now going to tell Congress that he believes that there are tapes in the Oval Office. I mean, this is this is maddening. I mean, remember when the birther movement was labeled as crazy because of the connections that Obama was somehow born in Nigeria? This to me is birther on steroids. But this is an Alex Jones. This is this is a guy who was running the FBI. So the more Comey opens up his mouth, the more op eds that he writes the more disturbing this is that someone on this both intellectual and emotional level held this kind of power. I, I, I mean, it's striking to me. You call this the best and the brightest? Well, I mean, well, you've long said that. And, and you know, there was real no evidence outside of your personal relationships with people that you know that have been government servants for years. Uh, you talk to a lot of people. You write all the time. You read everything that's out there. But this is proving your thesis from years ago. You know, when I look at the Michael Flynn uh, reading the Mueller report, one of the things that I find really disturbing about the way they kind of sprung the trap on Michael Flynn, uh, the FBI showing up, doing all these things. You know, I mean, I was in the military and it would be really strange if an active duty army infantryman found himself at the bin Laden raid, uh, you know, saving Captain Phillips, uh, doing all these things as a normal infantry soldier. It would be a little strange that you could find yourself at the Normandy beaches in North Africa, you know, in Okinawa, on Guadalcanal. Well, hold on here. How is it possible that you're all these places at the same time as just a normal guy? Peter Strzok finds himself not only investigating the hard drives of Hillary Clinton, but now he's at ground level uh, with the Russia investigation, the dossier. He's also the one doing the interview with Michael Flynn. I mean, how does that even pass any smell test? It doesn't. You know, there was a time. And, and look what this does for the, for the, uh, uh, the investigative uh, uh, powers of the FBI. I mean, 
it, it used to be if an uh, FBI agent, I remember once an FBI I told you the story, knocked on the door in our apartment house in, in Queens and uh, wanted to know about the person who'd been the superintendent of the building. And it turned out that uh, he was a uh, some sort of agent. You know, he had left. We were really, he was a great superintendent. And my mother just answered the questions, right? And she said, do you know that John was a spy? You know, it was just everyone was shocked. I'm saying an FBI agent today would come and knock on somebody's door and say, I'm from the FBI. And, and what's the response going to be? I want my lawyer. Right, exactly. No one's going <laughs> to. No one's going to cooperate willingly. Who's going to cooperate with them after you see this this circus? Well, listen, I mean, if you... It's done terrible, terrible damage. It really has. You know, we, we were talking uh, in the program about, you know, the J. Edgar Hoover years and how, you know, there seemed to be a public enemy number one after the, the success of Dillinger and, and the amount of public relations that J. Edgar Hoover was able to use. All of a sudden, we got... There was a public enemy every other day, and the FBI was running around and and essentially killing people on the streets. Ma Barker, uh, J. Edgar Hoover made her out to be Bin Laden, and and a lot of people think, well, he was getting the the free media, the earned media off of showing how great the FBI uh, was at the time. There's a lot of problems here at the FBI at the institutional level. Obviously, honorable men and women who do the day to day. But but this is something that's going to take a very long time, uh, much like the CIA had to exercise the demons of Iraq. This is going to really leave a mark. Well, I, you know, in the last essay that I wrote on Trump and the, ma- the managerial state, you know, one of the suggestions I made is that they get the FBI out of Washington, D.C. It's, it, it's just incestuous when you see the way the um, upper level, lower level, when you see all the interaction between the press, the leaks, and Congress, you really have to seriously ask yourself if the FBI should be uh, uh, headquartered. You know, have an FBI office. Let the director be there. But get, get, the, get the headquarters. They want a new headquarters. Get, get it out of Washington, D.C. Put it in Quantico. Put it in, I said put it in Wichita, Kansas. <laughs> Anywhere but Washington, D.C. It's just a terrible, terrible uh, mix. And, and the other thing is the FBI has almost overwhelmingly been run by lawyers. Not, yes. by, not by people who've risen through the ranks. There have been a couple of occasions where you had people like Louis Free had been a field agent and a lawyer. But, but most of them, J. Edgar Hoover, they were lawyers. So you, you have this I think culture that uh, uh, was taken and so twisted into a corrupted pretzel at this stage of the game. Uh, that's such an excellent point, especially when you're talking about these uh, attorneys that are taking over. We're going to go to a break. We'll have more last segment with Dr. Mark Epstein. We'll take your calls. 803-0930 is the Republican line. 644-9875 is the Democratic line. We're going to get right to your calls. We'll get to Jim uh, here right after this quick break. It's hard line. Apologize for the uh, Dave Matthews bump. Uh, we don't we don't do that here. We don't. No, I didn't get the memo. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> hey, we got Dr. Mark Epstein uh, on uh, the live uh, line. He's on the hotline. We appreciate his t- uh, his time this Sunday. Let's go to the Republican line. Eight zero three zero nine thirty. The Democratic line is six four four nine eight seven five. We've got Jim in North Tonawanda, one of my favorite people. Jim, how are you doing today, sir? I just wanted to call into uh, 
you you were talking about the FBI back during the time of uh, Hoover, Edgar Hoover, yeah. and Melvin Purvis. That's right. I want to put that in historical perspective because I I do know what I'm talking about. Melvin Purvis and the Untouchables were professional killers with badges. Very true. Documented historical fact. In fact. I don't remember which one of uh, Melvin Purvis's guys said this, but someone said to him, Frank Nitti, who at the time was Al Capone's Sicilian enforcer. See, everybody talks about Capone. Nobody talks about the fact that his Frank, he had a Sicilian enforcer. He made Al Capone what he was, really. Uh, anyway, he said, Frank Nitti's looking for you guys. He said, Frank Nitti, Frank Nitti better hope he doesn't find us. These guys were the real deal. And this is what I keep preaching about. Everybody, oh, you're such a radical. Why are you so radical? But if you study history, the true history of America, those are the guys that made this country safe for people to go to church on Sunday. Well, the, the argument, though, was that you know none of the public enemies, number one, ever were arrested. They were, they were shot, and they had license to do that. Um, and, and and many argue that there was you know a lot of uh, there, there was a lot of obviously Hoover no we're never going to have a director of the FBI that's going to last forty years and you know leave when they die but if you look at what the FBI has become it's the opposite of that we're not talking about all the crime we're stopping or the people we're arresting uh, they have really been tainted by this scandal and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Oh, man, and look how it's been used and abused. Um, they want to pass laws now. Uh, the guy yesterday, Russ Thompson, was saying about how they're harassing uh, uh, people that own gun stores. That's not what our law enforcement agencies were set up to, to be used for, to, ha- to harass legitimate business people that already have every virtually every security system known the man in place in their business and and we're going to let these these people i don't know i'm just getting no 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 all great points i appreciate your call jim i'm going to get back to epstein and see if he's got any comments uh, on that uh dr uh, mark epstein you know when, when you look at what the fbi was designed to do uh you know how much confidence they there were comic books they little boys you probably grew up looking at the FBI and playing FBI with your friends uh, because they were they were heroes. Well, look, uh, th- you had that series, you know, with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., the FBI. Uh, you had the movie with Jimmy Stewart, uh, the FBI story, the FBI gets its man. Hoover was very, very adept when it came to public relations. And like any bureaucracy, I don't care, FBI, IRS, uh, whatever, there are going to be failures. There are going to be things that they're ashamed of. The FBI uh, didn't get right. There are things that the FBI uh, did get infiltrated uh, by the Soviets. We know that. We know Hansen. We know, we know all these stories. So any bureaucracy that employs thousands of people will have flaws and will have uh, incidents that they have rather kept hidden. But we're now talking about a bureau- bureaucratic structures in, that have enormous, enormous police powers that seem to be out of control and seem to be manipulated by people who have political agendas. I just think the juxtaposition, though, of the outrage 
uh, of looking at the Hoover years while, you know, files were kept on innocent Americans. And yet now we're looking at something, you know, you, you started this entire conversation talking about Watergate. And so many young people really have no idea what Watergate was even about. But the idea that a sitting president was so insecure about what the other party was doing. And, you know, people forget that he won that that race. There was no need to find out what the Democrats were doing uh, during that campaign because Nixon was, you know, if he would have trusted his polling numbers, he was well uh, in control. But why is that so dangerous? And essentially, you made the comparison to Watergate. This is as close as we're going to get. But I think it it, it pales in comparison that you had that much participation with, you know, law enforcement the FISA court system and a political party to eavesdrop on a candidate in real time. Well, what, what, of course, post 9-11, we gave even more power to uh, the surveillance apparatus. But if you look at the whole Watergate business, it, it just it stands as the kind of the model. And then you get replications of it. You get the same thing occurring, let's say, with Iran-Contra, Right. I mean, you have a case where you have, an, uh, again, an out-of-control prosecutor in Fitzgerald who knows in the first couple of weeks of his undertaking that it was uh, Richard Armitage who was leaking, not Scooter Libby, and he goes after Scooter Libby to ruin him over, uh, over testimony that Judith Miller, a reporter for the New York Times, gave that varied with Libby's. And next thing you know, he's, his, 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 uh, Libby's life is ruined. And then years later, she, uh, Judith Miller corrects herself and said, I, I, I made a mistake when I spoke to these people. So we clearly have uh, prosecutorial abuse that's very widespread. I mean, you look at the numbers of cases that actually get tried. They're non-existent. They throw the book at people. They'll get crushed. Uh, you, you had the judge, uh, was it Sullivan? with Flynn, who was doing everything he could to have Flynn reject the plea agreement with Mueller. He hasn't been sentenced yet. And, and, and Sullivan clearly thought something was not kosher about this whole business. But the threat of, of Mueller's team going after Flynn's son was something that uh, Flynn wasn't going to gamble on. I mean, th- this is what's going on here. So you, you have a prosecutorial operation now that just crushes anything in its path. Now, as we end uh, the program, I want to just ask one final question. Looking back post 9-11, do you think that we could, if we, if you had the power to go back and look at the Patriot Act and all the different, uh, we, we trusted people to do these things because we were all in fear that uh, America was under attack. We needed to know about an attack before it happened. But the way that these things have been abused, nobody saw this coming. No one saw the the ability for these apparatuses to be manipulated. I think people did see it. I think that there were people screaming that, you know, just because you make people take their shoes off and wait on lines for an hour more to get on an airplane doesn't make you any safer. Just because you expand the bureaucracy and you expand the, the, the surveillance state doesn't necessarily mean that the, the level of safety is getting any better. Now, I'm sure there's all sorts of things that, that the FBI is doing that we never hear about and things that do get stopped that are significant. I have no doubt in my mind that that's going on. But I'm just saying that in terms of, the, you know, the, a, a guy takes a truck and he runs a bunch of people over in lower Manhattan, so they put bollards up. 
but, well, but then they say they knew about this guy and they couldn't do anything about it. So that's what you're left with. They, they, they can't be proactive. They can only be reactive. So they watch all the cells. And then maybe they set up the, the thing they have going, we have going for us is that most of the people involved in these things are pretty stupid. So they set these people up and they, they get them to think that they're buying uh, C4 or whatever, and it turns out that it's bubble gum. But it doesn't make me sleep any uh, sounder because of any of this. That's right. That's Dr. Mark Epstein. Hey, thank you so much for your time, sir. Appreciate you. Appreciate all the listeners out there and all the phone calls. And we are going to wrap up another week of Hardline. Right up after this is Meet the Press. Don't want to miss it. And then Monday morning, we start the whole machine up again. Brian and Susan in the morning. Sandy Beach. A uh, little break for an unknown podcast named Rush Limbaugh. And then Bowerly and Bellavia all week. Hardline next Sunday. We'll see you then. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 